1: I think if every believer doubles down on loving and showing grace, when we get to the issues where there's disagreement with our culture, they still will have some respect for us because of the way in which we've loved them in times of tragedy, hurt, and chaos.
0: Coming up, the story of a local church springing into action when faced with a double tragedy in their community. Welcome to this edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and we'll talk with Pastor Sean Thornton in just a moment. First, thank you for listening and for your many responses to this program. First Person seeks to simply tell the stories of God at work through the guests' own words. We've done hundreds of these interviews, and you can browse the archive to listen. Go to FirstPersonInterview.com to stream any interview. Or use our smartphone app to download programs to listen to at your convenience. And a special word of thanks to the Far East Broadcasting Company for making First Person possible. Online at febc.org. FEBC, until all have heard. Sean Thornton has been a guest in the past telling us his own story, and we'll place a link to that conversation in the notes at firstpersoninterview.com. But I've invited him back now to tell the story of what his California community went through in 2018, First, a shooting that took the lives of several people and closely followed by devastating wildfires. Sean is the senior pastor of Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California, a suburb of Los Angeles. Sean, great to have you back with us again. I know that your church went through uh, two crises mm-hmm. in 2018.
1: Yeah, they, they, both
0: very unusual, both tragic circumstances, and back to back, back to back, so soon one after the other. So right. tell me what
1: happened. Well, back in uh, 2018, in uh, the fall, we had uh, it was a uh, kind of a regular night. I was at home, uh, going to sleep kind of late. And the uh, uh, first thing we heard about was a shooting in our area. matter of fact, I got a text from my daughter who's a student in Seattle. And here we are down in the L.A. area. Mm-hmm. And she texted, she said, Dad, I think there's been a shooting. Someone texted me to tell me. And I said, I looked at the news. I said, no, there's nothing. I, I'm sure it's just a rumor. And then the news started popping in, like from the L.A. Times on my, you know, the little notifications I get on my mm-hmm. phone. Mm-hmm. And then it was CNN. Then it was, you know, nationwide news outlets saying there had been a shooting and that several had been killed in a in a in a bar club kind of situation, yeah. which it's a pretty wholesome place actually. It kind of makes yeah, it tell me seedy. about the place where they happened. Yeah, it. it was it's a it's kind of a country and western bar, and but it's a grill really too. It's a restaurant, and um, it's one of those places in our area. There aren't a lot of places for young people in suburbia, L.A. where we are, mm-hmm. and it's very family oriented. More soccer fields, and you're going to have things for younger uh, young adults. Mm -hmm. So if your kids were going to this uh, borderline, it was called, you were happy about that because that's a wholesome place, especially on cows night. They didn't serve alcohol. Uh, Kids could line dance and just have fun. And so I get this notice from my daughter and then see the news feed come in. And I start watching the local LA news. Now they've got helicopters above it. And a young man uh, who had been a military veteran, we later learned, walked in and began to in military style, Shoot young people in there and end up killing twelve people, including a police officer of uh, county sheriff's Deputy Ron Helis, who rushed in to help It was just a terrible, terrible tragedy that night and then twenty almost exactly twenty four hours later after we 've gone through so much as a community because that uh, the borderline is only about uh, about uh, seven, eight minutes from our church. That's how close it was. Then the next day uh, at night, after we had prayer vigils, been a long day, a lot of emotions, crying with people, families, wildfires started ripping mm-hmm. through our area. And about 85 percent of our congregation was under mandatory evacuation within about a 48 hour period. And it was just a devastation after devastation.
0: Let's talk about the fires in a moment, but I want to focus on the shooting. It it was so close to home, and it it really affected your church body very directly, didn't it?
1: Deeply. We believe there were probably 40 people inside who were a part of our church family, um, and one individual who was killed was on our church staff. A young woman named Noelle Sparks, she was 21, and she was— You know, Wayne, you and I kind of have similar backgrounds. We've talked about that from our childhood, where Mm -hmm. life wasn't always easy as kids. That's Noelle's background. She came from a, a, a home that didn't have a lot of financial resources. Uh, a lot of things against her, a lot of struggles in that home. And she just doubled down and served Jesus. Mm. With, with the difficulties of her life, she didn't really hold on to those things. She invested in other people to bring them love and hope. Mm. And so uh, just a delightful woman. And to see her taken in this mass shooting with other young people and then others of our folks being in there witnessing those things, yeah. it was just tragic. Well, what do you do?
0: In that situation, I mean what uh, could you do you 're a pastor and a leader in the community, right. where were you called them on immediately yeah
1: or? the local media, national media um, newspapers magazines started to reach out to us because they realized we had lost a staff member. they realized we had a common thread in the community, and uh, then we were doing the funeral we did the funeral for funerals for uh, five of those folks. So we just started to tell her story and talk about her love for Jesus, and we began to do all we could to raise financial resources. We, we rallied volunteers to go and love on all the families, connect with other pastors. In we, what ways? Well, different ways. Like um, uh, immediately, there were some needs when family members were coming in um, for funerals. There were immediate needs even in, for example— Noelle's mother had had the girl that was killed on her team. She'd had surgery the morning of. I remember reading that story. And so her mother didn't know about this until the next morning. And one of our staff members went to be there to help her hear about it. And when we heard for sure she had died, he was a part of communicating that to her. So to walk closely with that family, some, some volunteers said, I'll walk with the various family members They had children and relatives who came from out of town immediately upon the, uh, this happening. Even our law enforcement were drained because Well, they were drained loss of one of their yes. own. And they had rushed in. They were tired. I had a few folks that come to the church who said, I was in, I'm a detective for such and such law enforcement. I had to be in that building for 18, 20 hours mm-hmm. after and to see the... The horrible carnage yeah, that occurred that would affect you so oh, yeah. deeply. So they were saying, yeah. "I have kids this age," and it was mostly young people. It was mostly right. college age. So, right. so the shooting gripped our community. We had some prayer vigils. Yeah, I, I want know. to ask you. You opened up the church. We opened for those, the church. Yeah, so right it away. became not just
0: your local no, body; it, it became a community, community rallying point. Didn't people it? people
1: came to our our vigils? Um, people who didn't know anyone came. Um, it was a a comfortable. We'd inviting to place inviting to come for possible, prayer when people right? don't know what else to do. So a lot of the young people from Borderline who hadn't even been there that night came that, that were part of that because they knew it was Noel's Church and we had opened up. We did two formal vigils and kept the building open. Um, you know, the Lord just gives opportunities. There's such harsh, overwhelming moments, but if the body of Christ I think we all have to slow down when there are tragedies going, not only for a community, but one family here and one individual there. If we slow down and notice those, we can bring the love of Jesus and hope into folks' lives that have no other source of hope.
0: Uh, obviously, you had dealt with crisis before as a pastor. I'm right. sure you're called into all kinds of situations, but nothing like this.
1: No, I would put this on the level for me, this, this pastoral. I'm just going to talk about my pastoral experience. I'm going to talk about the incidents. But I would equal this to... Uh, what it was like to shepherd the first few weeks after 9-11 in the mm-hmm. United States because mm-hmm. that affected, seemed like, the whole mm-hmm. country in mm-hmm. a way. This wasn't to that scale, I know. Not the whole country was affected. Yeah. But our community, this was kind of our 9-11, if you will, in terms of the emotions. I'm, I'm not talking about yeah. the motivation of the attack or anything. So this was, I don't, I don't know if we'll, I'll face this again in my
0: life. And you didn't know what was coming with the wildfires, which no. we'll talk about in a moment. How, two questions. How did it affect you personally?
1: For me personally, one of the things uh, – it affected me personally right away because my children uh, have, a, have gone to the borderline to enjoy an evening like that on college night when, again, there's no alcohol served because there are minors there and everything. And so – and I even have a niece and a nephew who I thought might have been there that night. There was a, So for me, it was all about – I had to check on my own children, my own niece and nephew because, and friends and others, just kids I know from our church that were there, young people. It was very personal because we had a number of them missing for a while, and then all of a sudden, okay, they had to leave their phone in there, and they finally contacted their parents. It, was just, and it happened at about midnight, uh, and so you know that's a tough time for communication. Some people are sleeping, so if they even called their parents to tell them they're okay, the parent didn't get the message, but their friends didn't know that there was a message because there was a lot of confusion. Confusion, confusion. So for me, it was very personal. I, I, I knew Noelle, knew her family, knew the heartaches she'd been through already, and the bright light she was in the midst of some difficult circumstances, so for me personally, I had to lean into the Lord again, you know as a pastor, you learn God takes you through these things to teach you you got to lean into me mm-hmm. don't don 't try to do this on your own
0: yeah second question, what did you learn as a pastor and as a church body that others would benefit from knowing?
1: I think you know in a culture where more and more the values of the culture are beginning to go against the values we hold, and so the gap between the Judeo-Christian ethics we hold and what our culture holds is widening. And I think while we need to take a position on those things and take a stand, I think we need to really put our energy and resources into being with people in times of pain and hurt. It, it adds, it brings the hope and love of Jesus to people who are hurting, which is so important, but it also gives us credibility when we say we're, we're going to live and love like Jesus in the world as his followers, that we're not just... Talking about the issues where the culture is drifting, but we're there in those moments of crisis like Jesus would be. Yeah, and I think yeah. we need to double down on that yeah. right now.
0: and churches need to have this conversation,
1: definitely, definitely, because I think we're we're spending so much time and energy on the moral issues, which are important and the values of our culture, but we're we're not just being the church God called us to be in this world caring for people hurting, being there in the community when there's a shooting and there's fires or there's a tornado or a hurricane, we need to be the first to respond in love and to show that love of Jesus. It'll add to our credibility when we try to communicate on these areas of values and our beliefs. It'll add if we can show them love and the genuine love of Jesus.
0: How has the shooting specifically and permanently changed your community, do you think?
1: Well, our, what's, what's really interesting, Wayne, about our community is it takes pride in the fact that we're usually number one or number two in cities over, say, 50,000 in terms of safety. And that's mm-hmm. been true for 20 or 30 years. And the, the, we're a planned community, our area. And the whole way it's laid out was through research that said, this makes it safer if you have this and you have this. and There are features to our community. I won't go into all those yeah. details. Plus, it's just been known as a great place to live. It has. And, and it's the safest it's supposed to be the safest community in America. And so you say to yourselves— what we've learned as a community is everybody's vulnerable. Brokenness is everywhere. Uh, mental illness is everywhere. Hate is everywhere. Wh- whatever you want to say, it, it, no matter how safe you try to put yourselves in a bubble in a suburban uh, planned community and guard your children, um, we're in a broken world. And pain will affect us. And, and sometimes evil, evil will affect us.
0: Well, there was a second crisis that struck Sean Thornton's community, and we'll talk about it coming up next here on First Person.
1: When I first heard the good news on FEBC's station, I tried praying to Jesus for the first time. Life is difficult, but Christ is helping me see things differently.
0: The Far East Broadcasting Company receives millions of responses each year from grateful listeners. FEBC is dedicated to taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. To learn more, please visit febc.org. That's febc.org. The Far East Broadcasting Company until all have heard. My guest is Sean Thornton. Sean is uh, well. Sean's been with us before, yeah, first person. Yeah. We've enjoyed and our uh, thanks for coming back. I've wanted to talk to you about this for several months now. Sean is pastor of Calvary Community Church, and it's Westlake Village, yep, California. Westlake right? Village, okay. California. All right. Yep. Um, you you hadn't even had time to recover from the trauma of a community uh, shooting, mass shooting in your town mm-hmm. uh, when the fires began to right. just devastate your area. This is, again, uh, late 2018, right. just a few short months ago at right. the time of this conversation. So talk about what's going on there. What, what happened?
1: So we go through the, the shooting. We hold prayer vigils. We learn one of our own church staff members was killed in the shooting. We start learning that there are other families connected to us in various ways that have been uh, killed in the shooting. Uh, uh, an officer has been killed, and we're going to host his memorial. We're starting to learn that that first day. We get to the end of the day, and I hadn't gone to sleep the night before because of the timing of the shooting. And I went through all the emotions that we went through that day. Just emotional the, exhaustion, oh, our, exhaustion. Our staff just cried together in love. Let the physical we, exhaustion. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, just emotional physical, spiritual, any way you could put it, mental exhaustion. So I'm driving home from the last prayer vigil, and now there, there have been some fires in the area, and when the smoke is starting to come, and you see it out in the highway, and some people are starting to evacuate. You're hearing some things. And as I'm driving home, I see flames on the hill above my house. And I'm thinking I'm going home, and I told my wife as I texted her, I'm coming home, and i got to go to bed. I'm going to drop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get home, though, Wayne, and the flames are right near my house, 60 feet in the air, brush fire, and it's burning down a ridge. And I get a call from a fireman that says, I know where you live, and, Sean, you've got to be careful because it's either going to go over that way or it's going to go over your way. and Whichever way it goes, we don't have the fire personnel ready to take care of it. It's going to take out some homes. But
0: you weren't under an evacuation order. At that at time,
1: point. no, because it was really kind of moving away from me. And and what what happened was, it stayed on this ridge right across from my house. It kind of passed by me, and so I sat all night long at a window on the side of my house, and I moved as it moved down my house and watching because at any moment, if the winds changed, we probably would not get an an evacuation. I was so close to it; I'm on the edge of our community where the fire was. We wouldn't get the evacuation in time. Notice, so I'm watching all night long, and I watch all night long. And finally, my son takes over at about 7 in the morning, and it's all past. I watch it move past, but I know, and I'm watching the news, it's devastating, what's called mm-hmm. Oak Park, California, right mm-hmm. there. Really you know. knew it was burning homes. Oh, I knew it was burning homes. I'm hearing from staff. I'm seeing on social media, people are being evacuated. Uh, we hear already within the first seven or eight hours of three or four homes in our church that have gone up in flames and totally destroyed. And so um, I'm starting to think the next morning, though, it seems to have passed me by. Like, it's heading... Uh, it's it's just just south of me, and it's heading west, east to west toward the ocean, toward Malibu, and um, uh, but it gets windy again, and all of a sudden the neighbor comes, to look over there, and it had caught onto an area that bypassed earlier, and it just starts coming at us. Then we go under mandatory evacuation. We we gathered our stuff. We kind of gathered it the night. Are we before. talking about minutes? We're talking. It probably was an hour that we had before it came into our area, and praise God for wonderful firefighters because it literally encircled my little community. It's in a little valley and it went all the way around right up to the fences of our community and I'm on one of those fences. It burned everything out but they never, it never got in our community. Didn't hit any home. How do you account
0: for that? Was it the, were they watering the homes? They were watering
1: the homes. They, um, one thing in my area, it's a newer development in in California, they do these burn areas around communities, not burn, cut. So you cut the brush down for like 20 feet up to a community's fence line. I understand. Yeah. And it had been Done well, but the winds were so powerful it had been jumping highways. It jumped a major highway to go over into the Malibu Hills. But we kept hearing about others being evacuated. And interestingly, some of our staff or friends would be evacuated from their home to one home at like two in the morning. Then all of a sudden we'd hear, well, they evacuated from there and they went to the Smiths, (laughs) and the Smiths now have you know six dogs, two cats, a parakeet, (laughs) twelve children, and then they got evacuated. Oh goodness! Because it kept moving. And when we evacuated our home, uh, we didn't go back for a couple of days. And uh, interestingly, when we did go back, in our neighborhood for about a week while they were watching Little Embers, because it was just a burned out moonscape all around us, there were fire trucks from San Antonio, Texas, (laughs) from Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, my goodness. That sat in our cul-de-sacs and things for quite some time. Um, But a lot of our families lost Yeah. Everything.
0: Yeah, let's talk about the extent of the devastation. Mm -hmm. It affected your church very deeply. Many many families lost their homes. Yeah,
1: many families. Um, Now, in our situation, too, it's a fairly affluent area. So a number of folks had good insurance and had resources to cover them until the insurance came. But what you have in our area is you also have people who've lived there a long time before it became kind of a suburb. This was We were talking about that about your home, you know, mm-hmm. where you grew up is now mm-hmm. almost a part of Detroit. Right, right. Where it used to be, you were way out. Yeah, in the, it used this, to be farmland. This yeah. area was the same way. These were all ranches. And people who've lived out there, they used to be more of the blue-collar people and school teachers. They weren't, you know, Hollywood people and all these. Well, those folks still own their homes, but they didn't have the financial resources. So a lot of folks who, you know, don't struggle to make ends meet, but weren't ready to, like, have a second home Mm -hmm. while they're waiting for Mm -hmm. FEMA and other things. So we raised some funds. We've actually hired two staff. And to this day, Wayne, here we are now about, I'd say we're four and a half, five months out. We still daily have people coming to us for help. We've mm. lost everything, even outside our church. So we have we hired a couple staff. Yeah, We raised a couple hundred thousand dollars that we are just giving to families where there are gaps between what FEMA would do and their insurance would do. Some of them couldn't rebuild because they couldn't come up with the money, $4,000 to just get the builder to start building. Right. So we're trying to help with those things and meet those needs. So
0: spiritually, what's going on in people's hearts during this time?
1: I would say... With both disasters back-to-back, there was a sadness, a gray cloud, a heaviness, a a thickness, an overwhelmed feeling that we experienced that I've never experienced in ministry before for the whole community. And so to try to bring people to hope in God, faith in God, trust in God, rest in God, that was a tough experience, but we watched God do that for us. And now those, those hills that were black with soot and nothing left on them, not a scrap of green, just black with soot. In this spring, we have the brightest green grass. We have beautiful yellow flowers yeah, we've never had, had on some. Much needed those rain, which we had brought rain all the green and it? not too much rain. We had a little bit of some mudslides, but not as much as could. God gave it to us in the dosage we needed, and so there has become now this beauty from ashes. And you hear people talking about it. Oh, that was so horrible! But look at the beauty, and I try to say, look at the hope, the new life found in our God, mm-hmm. and point to that. Yeah, I think as we move forward. One of the things that we uh, will take with us is that the more we served our community, uh, the more people noticed that we were caring for any of the families who were affected by the shooting. We we said we'd do any of the memorials that wanted to be at our place. We did five out of the 12, and only one of those attended – Calvary and was on our staff with Noel. We Then when it came to the fires, we weren't just worrying about our own. We did worry about those within our own church who'd lost homes, but we also said, is there anybody in our community we can serve? Folks gave generously. And and what, what we learned by both of those things was, our world and our culture is getting more critical of our Judeo-Christian values that we live, the biblical perspective we live. And uh, so we find a lot of times as churches in our world, there's such a a contrast between what the world believes about values and what we believe that more and more they're looking at us as out-of-date, maybe even, you know, uh, biased or prejudiced against certain people or groups because of our values and they're becoming more critical of us and they're almost dismissing us and saying we really don't have a voice in the world anymore. But I think we get credibility when we do the things like Jesus did and, and he talked about the good Samaritan and, and caring for people that we don't really – aren't really required by any relationship or any responsibility to care for, the more we care for people and show them grace, the more we're in our world caring for the marginalized, caring for people affected by a shooting, caring for people affected by a disaster, the more we as the body of Christ and I as a minister focus on caring for the needs of people even beyond our body in a very practical, simple, loving way, I think the world then says, well, wait a minute, there's some credibility here. These folks care for people that a lot of us aren't even caring for. So when they speak in these areas where we disagree, we still want to hear from them. We want to respect them. I think the idea that we just need to shout louder about our values, we need to protest more, we need to scream more, we need to be on television programs debating, and there's a place for all that. But I think – The church needs to put its efforts And As we came out of the fires and the shooting, I saw that our efforts gained us credibility in our community that could easily dismiss us because of the difference in values we bring into our world and that we represent. And so I think it's important for the church to double down on loving like Jesus loved, loving people unconditionally, loving beyond our own circles. And that's not just formally as a church. That might be a neighbor who's gone through a death in their family, that you come over and bring them a cake, that you come over and say, we care about you. We're going to be thinking of you as you go through this loss. It's not just the, all of us together or just me as a pastor. I think if every believer doubles down on loving and showing grace, when we get to the issues where there's disagreement with our culture, they still will have some respect for us because of the way in which we've loved them in times of tragedy, hurt, and chaos. The stories
0: Sean has told us should encourage churches everywhere to be ready to respond when the unexpected comes to your community. Our guest has been Sean Thornton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. More about Sean and the church is found at FirstPersonInterview.com. Thanks for joining us for this interview. If you'd like to leave a comment about what you've heard today or about any of our conversations, please join us on Facebook at Facebook.com/slash first person interview. Again, that's Facebook.com slash first person interview. And don't forget to make use of our smartphone app found free in your app store. Another website I encourage you to visit is febc.org. The Far East Broadcasting Company will soon celebrate its 75th anniversary, 75 years of faithfully proclaiming the gospel through radio and now Internet programs. As you pray for the world to hear the Word of God, visit FEBC for suggestions on how to pray specifically for many countries. Just click on the button marked Pray at febc.org. Again, febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time or first person.